go into the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, chapter 22. Twenty-second chapter of Genesis, beginning in verse one. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and that word tempt has the idea of try, test, <clears throat> and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. And get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for I now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, <clears throat> behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the, place, the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, that is to say, that, that, is, that it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, approach uh, this passage today, it, it surely it goes beyond my comprehension and ability to fully share it. And so then, Lord, we look to your spirit to take it and apply it to our hearts. 
made in the truly, truly seeing from our hearts, Lord, how great you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember back in 1970, around there between 68 and 72, uh, when I was going to Eastern Oregon State College, <coughs> I was in a literature class, <coughs> and the professor brought up this story discrediting the Bible and discrediting God of how that God required a human sacrifice of Isaac. And he was trying to point out the hypocrisy of the Bible and, and discredit of the Bible and, and me being young in the faith and running from God anyway and being in a secular college, <clears throat> I didn't say much. But there's much misunderstood today in the world about Genesis chapter 22. And there really needs to be no mistake in about it because the Bible is very plain in what it has to say here. And so actually, instead of being a discredit to the Word of God, it's one of the great, wonderful chapters of the Bible. Its peaks are tremendous as we stand on them and look down from their lofty heights John Phillips, in his introductory to Genesis and an introductory to this chapter, said in Genesis 22, a great mountain rears its head, not Mount Everest, that was scaled by Sir Edmund Hillary in May of 1953, but Mount Moriah. Two men can be seen forging their way to the top. The way was steeper, far more than Everest, and the road tougher, costlier, harder. When at last Abraham and Isaac stood together on its brow, they stood upon an eminence, a spiritual plateau higher than ever reached by man before. Mount Moriah represented the highest possible pinnacle of surrender, but one of the highest possible pinnacles of sacrifice for the other. Few men have ever climbed so high. Indeed, there's only one peak higher than Mount Moriah in all the scripture. And that is Mount Calvary. Nor was Moriah scaled in a day. Abraham had been 50 years preparing on the hills and the slopes of God for the final triumph of this faith. And so here on Mount Moriah, Abraham's faith is going to be tested. Could God trust Abraham? And could Abraham trust God with his son Isaac? Could he give up that which he loved more than life itself? Would he stand between he and God? Or would he surrender him? When you read the Bible particularly in Genesis, in the characters of Genesis, you'll find that not one time did God test the faith of Lot 
There was never any need to test the faith of Lot. He was carnal. He was spiritually shallow, an empty individual, worldly, and ended up losing the majority of his family. But you see, uh, God tests those who he wants to grow, and he wants to bring them into greater battles and greater victories. Abraham is going to freely offer up his son, but he believes beyond a shadow of doubt that both he and Isaac would go up and both he and Isaac would come back down. Note again what it says there in verse 5 of the 22nd chapter. He said, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Hebrews has a commentary on that when it says in chapter 11 and verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall I seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figure. And so he believed even though he would slay him, the possibility of slaying him, that God would raise him up because he believed the promises of God. And, he, and God had already promised through Isaac the world would be blessed. And so what I want to do today, I want to go through this as though we have picture frames and we're filling in the pictures and we're going to look at, at Isaac and, and Abraham and, and just see some of the things that, that they represent and they do to fill in the picture that he has painted for us in Mount Moriah. The first picture frame that I want to fill in is the one that frames the ascent into Moriah. First, we see Isaac himself. As a young man, no longer a child, he ascends with his father to offer up the sacrifice. He carries the wood after they split from the other two men and leave the animals there. He's carrying the wood on his back. It's three days journey that they go. He willingly lays himself upon the altar. His faith and surrender to God and to his father is to be highly commanded, commended. But what's going on here? Well, I think if we study out and begin to compare scripture to scripture, that Isaac clearly represents the Lord Jesus Christ. In type, he fulfills that. We know that Isaac's birth was prophesied. If you flip back to Genesis 18 and verse 9 and 10, you'll see that God made the prophecy that Isaac was going to be born. And they said in verse 9 of chapter 18, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be a Sarah after the manner of women. 
And therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My God being old also, <coughs> my Lord being old also. And the Lord's going to go on and say, Is there anything too hard for God? But he was, it was predicted in the future. And uh, we know also clearly that Jesus' birth was prophesied. Now it was in the, in the Bible says in Matthew, Now in all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. And so when we say it was prophesied, all we're saying is this, is that in the design of God, in, in, the, in the things of God, God had determined, God had, had a plan that a, a man by the name of Isaac would be born into this world. And God had a plan that his son, Jesus Christ, would become a man and be born into this world. The birth of Isaac was absolutely a miracle. As we just read, it, that God returned to her after the manner of, of being able to bear a son. And it was a miracle for Abraham at 99 and, and Sarah to have this child was, <coughs> was beyond their own ability. And for Mary to have a, a virgin-born son was nothing but a miracle. It was prophesied. It wasn't something done in the corner. It wasn't something hanky-panky or some kind of uh, mirrors and smoke thing. It was just God said, this is what's going to happen, and it happened. And so we have God predicting that. Similar situations, both prophesied and both a miracle birth. It took place at a set time. The Bible says, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And so very re for some reason, at a very specific time in time, God said, now is the time for for Isaac to be born into this world. And we know also that God was in every detail of Jesus being born at a set time. The Bible tells us, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. And so I'm simply trying to point to you that Isaac, there's something about Isaac that's going to picture Jesus Christ, he, he is the type, but the fulfillment, the antitype, the fulfillment of the type is going to be Christ himself. Isaac was named before he was born. The Bible tells us that they, they should, thou shalt call his name Isaac. And of course, the angel speaking said, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. But even more than these seemingly uh, typical things that, that relate Isaac and Christ together, even greater is how Isaac pictured Jesus on this trip to Moriah. We find here Isaac going along, and you have to understand, I don't think all of the pictures that you see in, in the Sunday school classes or in books are accurate. It's quite possible that Isaac was at the age between 15 and 20 years old. He wasn't some little kid. I mean, he had the ability to pack wood on his back for three days straight. And so he's not some little child going up there and being tied up by his father and strapped to the altar. Isaac was well able to wrestle with his father over this. Yet he submitted. 
Just like Jesus, when the Bible tells us that he was there in the garden and he was about a stone cast away from the, the Luke uh, telling it, and he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so one of the things you can see about Isaac was this, that he wasn't resisted on any front, that he was willing and cooperative. And, and, I, and as it tells us that he bound Isaac I, 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 in my own mind, and, and I think that you can see from what's said here, that he put his hands out and he let himself be tied. He's not resisting. He's fully cooperating with his father and what is going on here. And possibly, too, within his heart and mind, he believed just like Abraham. And, and remember the words that we're going to go and we're going to come back down together. And Isaac, later on in Hebrews, as we read, Abraham believed that he was able to raise him from the dead if necessary. Isaac carried the wood for the offering, and we find Jesus bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of his skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Isaac prayed to his father. He said there in verse 7 of our text that he said, Father, in a, he's speaking to his dad, and, and, he's, and he says, uh, Father, in verse 17, Let's see, verse 7, I'm sorry. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And in a similar way, Jesus cries out, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so we find him surrendering. He's placing himself on the altar that was built. The wood is there. We find in verse 9 of chapter 22 that he binds Isaac, and he came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Man, uh, put yourself there. What a picture. Both the offerer and the offering, one together. Both of them being willing to do what God had asked and allowing themselves to be placed upon the altar. And the Bible tells us, Therefore doth my father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of the Father. In Isaiah 53, it says, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. We find in verse 4 of this passage that it took <clears throat> three days. And Abraham saw, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And in Abraham's mind, as soon as he left the two men, two young men and the animals there, and took off, that 
that this sacrifice was going to take place, that it was sealed in his mind. And Jesus was also three days and three nights in the grave. But I want you to see more than that. I want you to note the place where these pictures are painted for us. Look in verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. It was called uh, the land of Moriah, and there was a specific mountain in this land of Moriah where he was told him that he wanted to sacrifice on that mountain. Verse 3 tells us, <coughs> he went into the place that God had told him, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood and the burnt offering and went unto the place of which God had told him. And so what I want you to understand here is that it was in the land of Moriah, but it was a very specific place. It says to the place. And then in verse 4, it tells us again that word place. There on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And then in verse 9, and they came to the place which God had told them of. It's a specific place in the land of Moriah that God just didn't say go over there and choose out some place. But God had a very specific place that he wanted this, this sacrifice to take place. And so it's a specific place. And I mean, we could elaborate on this, but we think of our vast universe and all of its galaxies. And we are in the Milky Way galaxy. And there's a very special sun unto us, uh, planet unto us, uh, the sun in our galaxy. There's a very special planet here. In, this, in our universe, and that's the planet Earth, and there's a very special land in this uh, world, and that's the Holy Land, and a, and a very special city in the Holy Land, uh, Jerusalem, and a very special hill called Moriah. And it's mentioned three times here, the place, the place, the place. Now, I want you to turn with me over to Second Chronicles Second Chronicles, the third chapter. And Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared unto David his father place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Oni, the Jebusite. What I want you to see here is the region around Jerusalem was a region of Moriah, and there were mountains that were, became a specific place in the land of Moriah. That Moriah is associated with Israel. Moriah is associated with where the temple was built. Isaac was offered in a very specific place. Personally, I believe that place that Isaac was offered was the place of the skull. A hill in the area of Jerusalem in the land of Moriah. 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And then look at chapter 22 again and verse 14. Look what it says here. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. And it is said to this day, and the mount of the Lord, it was seen. Nope. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. He's talking about something future. He's talking about something on down the line. And listen, the great sacrifice of all time, where a loving father sacrificed a loving son, both willingly and openly, there at Calvary, Golgotha's Hill, it shall be seen. You see, Isaac and Abraham are simply pictures of what is going to take place when Christ offers himself upon the cross. Now, when we look in the Bible and we see, we see the uh, wording concerning the crucifixion and the death of Christ, we, we have great chapters like Psalms 22 where, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And great chapters like Isaiah 53 that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And we have great chapters like 69. And, and they're all chapters that speak of the Lord Jesus Christ and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's, but there's, there's, there's no chapters that talk about or give us any kind of inclination about what God the Father is thinking. Of course, God is greater than our thoughts, but and and uh, to delve delve into the very bottom of that is impossible. But I believe that in some in chapter 22 here of Genesis, we have a better picture of the heart of God. And the things that's going through God's mind, even though he's eternal and knows all, listen, uh, all the emotions of Calvary weren't just on one side of the deity. God loved his son more than any, anyone could ever love. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And here Abraham saddles his ass and he's going to the mountain with Isaac his son he sees uh, Isaac and packing the wood and there came a point in that three days journey Isaac said Abraham or maybe he said dad I don't know what he said the Bible says he said Abraham he said we got the fire here, and we got the wood here. But where's the sacrifice? 
God demanded his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know how we can even try to enter into the thoughts that's going through <coughs> excuse me, Abraham's mind. Surely there was some anguish of soul. Can we not understand that he, particularly as a human, shrank from a deed ahead of him? Surely, as he approached the place, his steps are getting heavy. Can we not hear the inward groan when his son asked, but where is the land? And can we not sense there was a bit of a trembling in his fingers when he bound his son's hands and looked him in the eyes and laid him on the altar? Can we not see that though it was predetermined by God that there was a great act of love? took his son on the cross. See the picture. Abraham freely offering up Isaac. Abraham believing the promises of God. And God the Father taking his own precious son God the Father taking the roses shared in the bright and morning star and sacrificing him. And Romans 8 says, And he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How can we look at this typical picture and then Take it to the, to the anatypical anatype that when it was fulfilled and, and see what took place at Calvary. And hear the cry from Calvary when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And not understand that he who gave his son will not freely give us all things. How can we question this great Savior and God the Father that is ours in salvation? Listen, he gave his son, and how can I doubt him? Abraham and Isaac came to a place where no others could go. In that fifth verse again, he tells the the young men, Abide ye here with the ass. That they were going to go to Mount Moriah where an event is going to happen. 
that only the Son and the Father could be a part of. When it comes to Calvary, Jesus said in the, in the garden, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. The question comes in a statement from Jesus. Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so we come to the cross. We come to the moment in time when Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. And something so personal, something so so excluded from the rest of the world is going to take place. The God, the Father, in a sense, pulls the shade upon the world, and all around the cross becomes dark. And God lays the sin of the world upon his son in payment for your sin and mine. We had no part of it. We could not even look upon it. Those around the cross could not see it. A great earthquake took place. And there was a knowledge of this when people left the area of the cross after the sun had come up. Something Horrible, but something wonderful, something supernatural has taken place here. And that is that Christ paid for our sin. See, you have to understand and keep in mind always and realize, realize this. God the Father crucified God the Son. In the sense when he raised his hand as Isaac, Abraham in picturing Isaac, he drove it home. Look over in Isaiah chapter 53. Actually with the liberals, Isaiah chapter 53 is not a very popular chapter. People want to avoid it. People want to explain it away. In Isaiah chapter 53, it speaks of Jesus Christ. He is despised, verse 3, and rejected, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. <clears throat> verse 5 tells that he was wounded for our transgressions. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. <clears throat> and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That the sacrifice made at Calvary, pictured on Mount Moriah with Isaac and Abraham, <clears throat> was for our iniquity. It's for what we had done. And then know what it says <coughs> over in verse 10. 
Yet it pleased the Lord, the Father, to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the praise of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul. The Father saw the travail of the soul upon the cross and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgression, he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Why was he pleased? What kind of a father would be pleased that he was bruised? How can this language fit anywhere in the, in the thoughts of a, a, a God who is a God of love, a holy God, a God who loves the world? Because he could only carry out his great plan of love. He, God commendeth his love towards us and pouring out his wrath upon his son. Listen, don't think that sin is something simple. Sin demands the wrath of God and payment. The death must take place. And he was pleased because now he could forgive him of his sin. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now note the picture framed in verse 22, chapter 22 and verses 12 and 13. Well, let's begin with 11. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from him. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said unto this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. We don't have given for us the emotions of either Abraham or Isaac when God says, hold, hold it there, hold your hand. But surely tears flowed because Abraham realized the promises of God are sure. That God would provide, and he did. The picture that we must see is that Isaac really represented you and I who deserve the wrath of God. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Righteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not deceive me, the fornicators, adulterers, or 
impermanent or abuse themselves with mankind. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in the things which are written. Yet God intervened. And I like the way it was written here. I think the King James is accurate here. When it says in verse 14, And God called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, and it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. But also in verse 8, speaking of that very hour, but speaking of the wonderful hour and years to come. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. That can be understood in two ways. God can provide for himself an offering. Or it could be, as is written, God will provide himself as an offering. And he did. He wondrously did. In order that we might understand, like in verse 14, it shall be seen. It's past tense now, but there came a day when Christ died for the sins of the world. And so what we have here, we have some wonderful truths about God. We find when we get to the very end of the Bible, that it talks about how that Jesus Christ was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before time began, God had a plan. And uh, we like to make that a general plan. But I believe I can say today that before the world began, <laughs> before time began to be counted, God had a plan for a little boy raised in Eastern Oregon who knew he was a sinner, who did not have the son and as a result did not have life. But even he knew God had a plan. And in time, God says, I want to picture this plan. I want to picture this plan in Abraham picturing me and Isaac picturing the son and the fact that I have the ability to provide the sacrifice. Listen, there was nothing. You cannot take Genesis chapter 22 and in any way talk about human sacrifices and how ungodly the Bible is and how contentious the Bible is. No, God had a plan. And he had the ability to bring back even if he did die. But the Lord did not allow that. Salvation was planned in eternity, pictured at Mount Moriah, and experienced at Mount Golgotha, and can be adapted into your life and taken into your life through repentance 
ourselves. God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so let us rejoice today. This wasn't plan B. This was plan A. And that's all the plan we needed. And nothing took God by surprise. And God had a remedy for my sin and the death of his son and for your sin. And if you're not saved here today, let me assure you that Christ knows where you're at. He knows your sin. He knows your need. He knows the judgment upon your life. And he encourages you to repent and believe the gospel. We're going to end the service today in a little different way. Instead of singing a song of invitation, I think we ought to praise the Lord. If we can't praise the Lord over this, then maybe you need to come forward and get saved. And Brother Mechanic is going to come and lead us in hymn number two, How Great Thou Art. Will you endeavor?